Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, alongside your host, Michael John Cusick, here in Denver, Colorado. Michael, hello. Hey, Brian. We are moving along in this series. Oh, it's a great one. The series that he's uh, talking about is a, a deep dive into your book, uh, Surfing for God. And before we uh, jump in to this particular chapter titled Gathering the Broken Places, uh, tell our listeners why it's important to understand your brokenness. It's important to understand our brokenness because it's what drives our sinful patterns, our addictions, our compulsions. Um, I used to teach a class at Denver Seminary called Addictions and Counseling, and on the first day, uh, right at the beginning of class, I would I would put up a PowerPoint slide taken from the highly technical, highly sophisticated scientific book called Addiction for Dummies. Yes, there is such a book. And at the very beginning, before it started any text, it had a picture. It was kind of a Gary Larson far side cartoon, and it said, it's about the hole in the heart, stupid. And so all addiction and compulsion, all of our why am I doing what I don't want to do and why don't I do what I want to do, it's about a hole in the heart. And so we need to understand the ways that our hearts are broken in the same way that a piece of precious pottery has been broken. And then there's another kind of brokenness that's about a posture of humility before God that I think there's confusion around that as well. Does everybody have a hole in their heart? Everybody has a hole in their heart, and and this may confuse some because there's a famous quote that is often used in churches by Blaise Pascal, and it it went like this, that we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and then essentially the quote, I don't know the technical Pascalian (laughs) end to the quote, but we say that Jesus comes and fills that hole in your heart. And the hole that he was talking about was the hole, the vacuum, if you will, the absence of matter, that that hole is the longing and the desire that we're, that our hearts are restless, as Augustine said, until we find rest in thee. And the hole that I'm talking about is more of a, a hole that is a result of damage, either someone else's sin against us or damage that's a result of our own sin. Uh, it can be a, a hole in the heart or a wound from trauma. 
from something that happened to us that never should have happened or something that should have happened and didn't happen. And so we all have those holes in the heart. So let's go ahead and uh, jump right in. Uh, appreciate the uh, laying the groundwork uh, for us today. Your ministry, Michael, Restoring the Soul, has been focused for uh, 20 years on restoring broken men and women. And your book, Surfing for God, weaves the idea of healing brokenness throughout its pages. So let's start at the very beginning. What in the world is brokenness? Good. And I'm going to get into some specifics of that, Brian. Um, a few years before I wrote Surfing for God, there was a popular worship song out, and I am not criticizing Chris Tomlin or whoever it might have been that wrote this song. Uh, but, but the lyric went like this. Brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. And, um, I remember standing in church and looking around with people, their hands in their pockets and kind of numbly singing that song. And I thought, what? Do we really believe that? And do I believe that? And I think that, uh, this brings up the first misunderstanding. If brokenness is something that we long for or something that we need, it must be referring to this brokenness that's a posture of the heart before God. And for men who struggle with sexual sin, um, the, the psalm that, that everyone is familiar with is Psalm 51, right? The psalm that David wrote after committing adultery with Bathsheba. And I, I, Back as a very young Christian, when I was compulsively sexually sinning, I uh, always said I would write a book called Living in Psalm 51, because that's just where I would go after every time I would act out. And David says, Lord, you do not desire burnt offerings or sacrifices. A broken and contrite heart is what you desire. And the way that I used to read that was, what this means is that I have to have such deep intense remorse, and I have to feel so bad about myself, I have to beat myself up and shame myself so much so that first, I will not do this again. So I'd work up this lather of self-hatred, and secondly, if I feel bad enough, I will convince God how sorry I am, and then he's going to really bless me and hear how sorry I am, and now he's going to give me the key so that I can find freedom. And that was a vicious, ungodly, uncompassionate, unbiblical understanding of brokenness. So this posture of the heart that David is talking about there, and that we see again and again scripture, is not, I feel so bad, it's, I've come to the end of myself. Instead of impressing you, God, with more religious activity, in Psalm 51 for the Jews, that would have been burnt offerings and sacrifices. Today, if a Christian were writing Psalm 51, it might say, God, you don't want me to memorize more Bible verses. You don't want me to have three more accountability meetings a week. You don't want me to flex my moral, spiritual muscles even harder than I have. What you want is me just saying, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And this is totally counterintuitive. But this idea of brokenness allows us to come to a place of surrender, whereas a pastor from the 1800s by the name of John Gaynor Banks, he once wrote that our inadequacy is our first qualification. 
So with the gospel, the good news is when we have fallen, when we have sinned again, our brokenness is, God, I am powerless and I'm unable to promise or commit that I'm not going to do this again. And for many men, they feel that that's hopeless, that that's resignation, that's giving up, but it really is just the start. And this is why in the 12 steps of recovery, the first step is we admitted that our lives had become unmanageable over alcohol, drugs, sex, and that we were powerless over alcohol, drugs, sex. That first step in the 12 steps is really a very biblical idea. So more specifically, after we understand this brokenness that is a posture before God, and in other contexts I've used this phrase, I got no game. Brokenness before God is saying, I've got no game. And I'm asking you to take that no game, God, and to bring something out of it. But the other kind of brokenness is the fact that ever since Genesis 3 and the fall of man, you can picture a apple falling from a tree. Well, we are God's pottery uh, made in his image. And so a piece of precious pottery falls from a tree and it falls upon the ground. And sometimes what falls is shattered into many, many pieces, and sometimes it just cracks. But every one and everything in this world as we know it is broken. And so I've put together five W's as an alliteration, just as a way of helping us think about this. So the five W's are, and these are five W's of brokenness. The first one is wickedness. The second is weakness. The third is woundedness. The fourth is warfare. And the fifth is wiring. Uh, I mentioned this in a previous podcast that I talked about seven core longings, and somebody said I think there are 13. So if you're listening and you go, well, there's seven or 12 uh, aspects of brokenness, that's fine. There might be. This is just a helpful construct. So let's first talk about wickedness. What do you think of when you think of the word wickedness? Most people think of, and these are caricatures, but Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden. In other words, Wickedness is sin that has gone really, really, really far. Wickedness is the worst kind of sinner. And yes, that word wicked is um, used with great emphasis on the nature of turning away from God at its kind of furthest extent. In Isaiah 53, 6, this idea of we are all like sheep and we have each turned astray and gone to our own way. This idea of wickedness is the idea that we turn away from God. I've often said that um, the word the fall for what happened in Genesis 3 could be better described as the turn, that sin at its core is less about this passive gravitational process of something breaks loose and then it just drops, and more of a relational process of turning away. It was Dallas Willard that said that sin is not a value judgment upon our personhood, that we are bad, that we are unworthy, that we are unlovable, but that sin is about independence, a declaration of independence, and about autonomy, our refusal to trust God and to be connected Him to him as our source of security. So, wickedness 
is oftentimes the reason and the rationale and the answer to why do we do what we do. So if we went back to Paul in Romans chapter 7, who said, why do I do what I don't want to do? Um, and we asked the average Christian on a Sunday morning, why do men struggle with pornography? Well, because they're sinners. Why do men have affairs? Well, because they're sinners. Why do people lie? Well, because we're sinners. But Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, tells us that the purposes, the motives, and the agendas of our heart are deep, deep waters. So I have a very strong theology of sin, which in theological circles is known as hamartiology, and I believe that as I unpack these five W's, that it will help you to understand why sin can be so compulsive inside of us and how we begin to reverse the process of breaking free from the chains that bind us and the things that hold us captive. So if this were a whiteboard, I would write these five W's, wickedness, weakness, woundedness, warfare, and wiring in a vertical column, and I would draw a big fat line underneath the word wickedness. And that would be a kind of dividing line. Because if, in fact, the purposes of our heart are deep waters, that means that there's a reason and a rationale for why we're sinning. Psalm 51, David said, I'm sinful from the time I was conceived. So yes, there's something there that as soon as we come into the world, we we have this uh, proclivity to not trust God and to be autonomous. But let's look at the next four W's. It's how we deal with these four W's, the degree to which we bring these W's into the light, the degree to which we understand them, that if they're not attended to, and if they're not integrated into a whole heart, then we will be captive to sinful patterns and behaviors. So let's start with looking at weakness. So if we're talking about pornography and sexual addiction, people will go, you're absolutely right. I am weak, and I need Jesus to strengthen me. And in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So if you do what I did as a young Christian all through my 20s, I said, Jesus, I'm giving in to temptation, and I'm weak, and I need you to strengthen me. And that is precisely what I'm not talking about in regard to weakness. Let me define weakness. Weakness is a limitation or vulnerability that we carry. So I am of Irish descent, and people from Northwest Europe in their ancestry are exponentially more likely to get basal cell carcinoma, i.e. skin cancer, than people from other parts of Europe. And in fact, I have had basal cell carcinoma and had multiple surgeries, as have uh, my father and my uncles and my aunts, who are also Irish. That is simply a vulnerability. Uh, I am five foot seven, and so through uh, high school and all through my growing up years, no one ever said, hey, let's go shoot baskets, because I was always really, really short. I was on the wrestling team, and so I don't know how to play basketball. And if I go to an NBA game, it's not that I'm bad. It's not that it's wrong. I just don't understand the rules of basketball in most professional sports. That's a vulnerability as I'm in certain circles talking to men. And so limitations right alongside vulnerabilities are everything from the fact that we have to sleep, 
we have to go to the bathroom, that we have to eat. We are not infinite. And Jesus himself had weaknesses in terms of vulnerabilities and limitations. Um, Jesus asked his friends to stay awake and pray for him because he was a uh, fully human, fully God person on earth, and he needed friends because that's what human beings need when we're going through great suffering. Jesus had limitations in terms of the way that he emptied himself of his divinity. And so what happens is we come into the world with gifts, talents, strengths, abilities, all of these things where we say, look at this, look at me, look who I am, and we hold them out in front of us. And then we have these vulnerabilities and these limitations We might not be good with math. We might not be good in school. We might not be good in sports. We might be mocked, shamed, told that we're too sensitive, told that we're too awkward, whatever it is. We take those things, and if you will, we, rather than hold them out and say, this is who we I am, we hide them behind our back, and we put our hands in our pockets, and we say, you can never know this about me because these vulnerabilities and limitations will make it so that I'm not loved and cared for. And what happens is we have to develop a false self. And this false self is the us that moves into the world saying, if I'm this, you'll love me. If I'm this, you'll affirm me. If I'm this, you'll light up and have affection and delight for me. And so our weaknesses are not something that we need to be strengthened in, although there's a time and a place for that. Our weaknesses are something to be surrendered to take our hands from behind our back, those things that we would rather not be known for or seen where we're vulnerable or where we have limitations, and we bring them out in front. And I call that stewarding our weakness. And you may have heard the passage in Second Corinthians 12, where Paul has a thorn in the flesh, and he cries out, he says to God three times, please take away this thorn in my flesh. And God said, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, in vulnerability. And then Paul goes on to say, and listen carefully, he says, in my weakness, I am strong. And I always like to call attention to the fact that if I'm teaching to an audience, I'll pause and I'll say, okay, fill in the blank. In my weakness, blank. And 99 times out of 100 people say, in my weakness, he is strong. God is strong. But the text says, as Paul is wrestling with this thorn in the flesh and he's experienced beatings and floggings and shipwrecks and hunger, he says, when I am weak, I am strong. As Brene Brown has taught, and there's an entire industry now around the power of vulnerability, this is a biblical idea that it's in our vulnerability, our weakness, and our limitations where we actually become strong. And so from an addiction perspective, if the first step in the 12 steps is to admit that we are powerless, this idea of saying, I've got no game, God, I I can't do anything. I've got nothing to try to overcome this or commit to this just one more time. Weakness is something that we can befriend and find God in the midst of. Yeah, this is so good, and I really hope that uh, you listening uh, today are taking some good notes. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Michael, you're going to come back then with uh, 
number three, four, and five for the W's as we go through the chapter on uh, Surfing for God titled Gathering the Broken Places. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Hey, it's Michael. In my life, I've battled addiction and even blew up my marriage. I experienced childhood abuse and lived for years with PTSD. And in all that, I've experienced incredible restoration and healing in my life and marriage. Now, my story is not your story, but there comes a moment for every one of us where we need something to change. At Restoring the Soul, we help couples heal their marriage. We help individuals restore their life and get their heart back. If you can't wait months or years to get unstuck and out of that rut you're in, our intensive counseling process in Colorado allows you to experience deep change, real breakthrough, and half-day blocks over two weeks. Finally, you can heal from your trauma, overcome those compulsive behaviors, or heal what's broken in your marriage so that you can live the life you're meant to live. Visit RestoringTheSoul.com. Hey, welcome back to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, and we're taking a look at the five W's of brokenness from Surfing for God. Yeah, so Brian, we've looked at uh, wickedness, we looked at weakness, and now we're going to talk about woundedness. And uh, this is one that, for men especially, is sometimes the hardest for them to come to terms with. Um, I talk about this in Surfing for God in the chapter called Gathering the Broken Pieces, but um, when people come to do an intensive where for one or two weeks they meet with a counselor in Colorado three hours a day, we have a, a lengthy 360-degree assessment process. And there's a section where people will uh, go through a survey of their emotional, relational wounds, physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse. And I've worked with men who have gone through the four or five pages of that and through every question, they just draw a line, and they might put N-A for not applicable. You know, I'm good. I haven't experienced anything. And then they get to my office or an office of another one of our counselors, and they start to unpack their story, the story of how um, a 12-year-old walked in after school one day and found his father had committed suicide, and he was hanging from the rafters. But that same man said, I'm good. I don't have any wounds. I don't have any brokenness. And in his mind, he wasn't lying. He wasn't trying to convince me that that wasn't the case. It's just what he did in order to cope. And because of his gifts and because of his ambition and drive, he was able to compensate for that. And so just because we've put something in the past and moved on doesn't mean that it didn't affect us. And oftentimes, the more we have put it in the past and moved on and not thought about it, it's sometimes the more that it is affecting us. And so these wounds are simply ways that we have experienced pain or harm in a way that has shaped us. And there's two kinds of wounds. There's what I call wounds of presence and wounds of absence, or wounds of commission and omission. Wounds of presence are those things that are done to us consciously or unconsciously, intentionally or unintentionally, that it causes us pain and harm. It may be an accident. It may be an outright sin against us like abuse, but they're, they're things that are done to us that are like um, a blade coming against a young tree where it just chip, 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 chip. And there are people that I've worked with, men and women over the years, who, if you think of the metaphor of a blade coming against a tree, 
Some of them have experienced a dull Cub Scout pocket knife coming against the tree where each individual wound is barely a nick. And then there's people who have experienced a machete going against that tree and it takes a giant nick out of it. And then there's people that have experienced a hatchet or an axe and it takes a major blow. And then there are others. And this is part of my story where the abuse and the wounding is so severe that it's like taking a chainsaw and just cutting through that small tree. My point being, though, that you can actually chop down a giant oak tree with a dull Cub Scout pocket knife if there's enough small nicks. And so it's often the case where men go, I I just can't think of anything. And sometimes it's a good home with good parents where it was more about what someone didn't get than what happened to them that was clearly wrong or bad. And so the wounds of absence are like that same tree not being watered, not being in soil that was rich in minerals, not being in sunlight, and simply not being tended to. Uh, My friend Steve Smith wrote a book on manhood, and one of the opening sentences was, using the metaphor of a tree with a man's soul, there's two ways you can kill a tree. You can stop watering it, or you can cut it down. There are wounds of presence and wounds of absence. Certain wounds cause trauma, and the definition of trauma is any event, any environment or experience that overwhelms our system and leaves us alone and without the resources that we need to cope. And uh, we have entire podcast series on the Restoring Soul podcast about trauma. I'm not going to go into that now, but I do unpack it a little bit in the book. But these wounds are these experiences that do two things. Number one, wounds cause us pain, and they make us question whether we can really trust God and others. It was Oswald Chambers who said that all sin is rooted in the suspicion that God is not good. And there's nothing like pain and suffering that happens directly to us, where we are powerless that makes us question whether we can really trust God. Secondly, every wound happens in relationship. If it's not something like falling off your bike, it's more like, I was always picked last for the team. Or this relative touched me in this place that was really wrong and I felt such shame. Or I was betrayed in this relationship. Or my spouse cheated on me. We all have stories of those wounds. And every wound creates distance inside of us, a distance where we disconnect from ourselves. And every wound causes some kind of disconnection or avoiding, or trying to control intimate relationships. And that plays out on the horizontal level, and it also plays out with God. So that's wounding. The next of the last two W's is warfare, and I'm not going to go into this too deeply. I do have a chapter on this in Surfing for God called The Invisible Battle. And what I mean by warfare is that we are in a battle. We have an enemy And in 1 Peter, it tells us that the enemy, the evil one, Satan, the devil, that he is like a roaring lion who is seeking to devour. In Revelation chapter 12, classic passage, in the traditional translations, it talks about the accuser of the brethren. 
I remember as a young Christian, remember hearing um, uh, fundamentalist preachers talk about the accuser of the brethren, <laughs> and they would they would take those uh, words and make it like twelve syllables. And then I read that passage for myself, and it talks about this this uh, war in heaven, and it talks about how in the modern translations it says that we have an accuser who hurls insults at us all day long. And what I want to say about evil and the enemy that Christians have is that the evil one hates your soul. He hates the soul of every human being because we bear the image of God. And the goal of the evil one is to create the illusion of separation from God for Christians and to tell us the lie that we're unloved and that God can't be trusted. Those are always the lies from Genesis 3 forward. And so in regard to porn and sexual addiction, I'm absolutely convinced that warfare, arrows coming at us. In Ephesians 6, Paul prays uh, to cover yourself with the armor of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, feet uh, in the shoes of the gospel. It says that that shield of faith is to extinguish flaming arrows. And so the way that men struggle with sexual sin is less through temptation, less about, ooh, there was a scantily clad woman and that triggered my lust, and more about deception. And the deception is, I'm inadequate, I'm not enough, these deep, deep desires inside of me are um, never going to be met, God couldn't possibly be the source of my satisfaction. I can't soothe myself. I can't get my needs met by depending on others. I'm basically a bad or unworthy person. Nobody would love me for who I am. And so therefore, I've got to look at porn or I've got to fantasize or masturbate or act out sexually in order to be okay. All of those lies are there. And we sign on with those lies. Just like if you go buy a car you sign the paperwork at the end, and you are agreeing to fulfill the contract. You will make the payments if you take that car home. Well, the word confession means to agree with God, but we can make agreements with darkness. We can make agreements with the evil one. And just like confession is to agree with God, we are called to renunciation and to renounce is to disagree with darkness. And so I have a, a pattern, uh, an acronym in the chapter on uh, the invisible battle of how we can announce, renounce, and then pronounce God's truth over our lives. But we announce the lie, the agreement, we renounce it, and that's all unpacked in that chapter. But warfare is really about the lies that come against us about who we are as God's beloved sons and also the lies about who God is, that he's not a good father, that he can't be trusted, that he wants us to perform, that he wants us to give more sacrifices and burnt offerings. Lastly, wickedness, weakness, woundedness, warfare, the final W is wiring. And this refers to the fact that we are physiological beings, physiological creatures. We are um, a collection of electrons and neutrons and cells. There's a chapter in the book on uh, your brain on porn and about how porn affects neural pathways. But more than this, trauma and life experience 
affects our nervous system, and trauma and life experience affects our ability to securely attach to others and get our needs met or not, and then that affects how we relate to God. You know, all through my younger years as a believer and during my addiction, I would always say, why do I feel so unattached to God? Why do I believe all these things, but I don't really experience what I'm believing? And one of the reasons why we don't experience God the way that the scriptures promise, the reason why we feel like um, we're not experiencing this life to the full and the streams of living water is because we have issues of attachment and our body has not learned to rest and to securely get our needs met in the presence of another. And so salvation, as Dallas Willard has said, is the new form of attaching to perfect love. So wickedness, weakness, woundedness, warfare, and wiring, as we come to understand how each of these plays out in our life, those bottom four are like kindling and dried out sticks and logs that when the spark of legitimate God-given desire comes along, it ignites and that fire starts to burn and that becomes sin. The wickedness is really how we preserve ourselves and protect ourselves from the pain and the vulnerability of those other W's. And so as we move along, we're going to be tending to those. Back to you, Brian. Thank you, sir. An incredible, exhaustive uh, list. So we've been looking at your book, Surfing for God, but an even more important book is the, the words that we find in Scripture. And the foundation of Scripture is very important to you. So how can you tie in Scripture uh, to brokenness? What, what would be some Scriptures that you'd like to share that would be important for our listeners today? You know, here's where the hope is, Brian, because I could talk all day. I do this for a living as a professor, and yet my journey of healing has been Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The answer is how he points us to what God is like. And so I just want to read three scriptures that can give people hope. Psalm 109, verses 21 through 22. King David, the man after God's own heart, he was an adulterer and an accomplice in the murder of the woman he slept with. Psalm 109, but you, O sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Psalm 40, verse 17. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God, do not delay. And then finally, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is the word of the Lord, and this is God's promise to you. Stay tuned as we continue to unpack these different themes and chapters from Surfing for God. We'll see you next time. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Restoring the Soul.